Well, welcome to the Pericle Podcast. This is Jared Pickney, and today I'm joined by a friend of mine who happens to be a licensed certified social worker and the founder and owner of Hope and Healing. I'm talking about Luke, Lou Allen. Luke, thanks so much for coming on, man. No, thanks for having me, Jared. I know this is like your highlight of your day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> this is just normal every day. <laughs> just talking to a mic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so we met, I believe, at Anytime Fitness. I think we met at the gym. Um, I don't remember who struck up a conversation with who, but over the years, uh, I've enjoyed um, just deepening our friendship. And so we get a chance to grab uh, some Mexican food. Usually it's Mexican food, right? A little Los Marcos Mm -hmm. on Tuesdays. And you've been a great encouragement to me. I've learned a lot from you. I've let you even uh, hook me up to your little machine before. And, um, you know, you've analyzed me and all that good stuff. And so uh, I really... Really look forward to having you on because I know that, um, yeah, there's an opportunity for you to even be able to help others by sharing some of the things that you've learned along the way. So I want to just kind of start here, Luke. You know, we've had, we've heard people talk about kind of this mental health crisis um, that seems to be growing in our country. And I'm just curious from your perspective, does does that seem to be the case? Like, is that blown out of proportion? Like, does there seem to be a mental health crisis that is growing in our country right now? And if so, like, Maybe what do you think the cause of that is? I don't think that anyone would argue that we do have a mental health crisis. Um, and in the mental health world, there's there's less therapists than there are patients. So we're kind of underserved in this area. Um, and uh, the cause, uh, I guess we could debate it. Obviously, the crisis, um, the COVID situation and the lockdowns have, have influenced that, but we really don't know how exactly, or at least I don't. Um, I think as stress goes up, people typically experience more symptoms of anxiety and depression and loneliness. And, and sometimes those are exacerbated by uh, drinking alcohol to cope or, um, just being isolated physically from the rest of the world when you're uh, in quarantine, et cetera, and maybe sick or yeah. lost a loved one. Yeah, hundred percent. So you would say loneliness from your perspective, it, it definitely doesn't help, but hurts. Even if you've already got any sort of underlying issues already, you've got some stress right. in your life, you get isolated. It's typically not going to make things better. And I think that's what we've seen uh, in the counseling world. So, like, people that have never sought out mental health sim- uh, treatment are, are coming and making referrals and trying to get help. Yeah, well, that's good. I know that y'all work a lot with um, people who have experienced trauma in their life. And I tend to believe everybody has experienced trauma in some way, shape, or form. But I don't think um, most people believe that. Like, at least from my experience, like, usually when I'm talking with someone, they're like, oh, well, I know those people have experienced trauma, but I've lived a pretty good life. I don't think I actually have had trauma. Um, But there's a, I've heard, it's been helpful for me, the difference between, like, big T trauma and little T trauma. But, like, would you say that from your experience, most people have experienced trauma? Or I guess I'd even back up and say, from your definition, like, what is trauma? And from your experience, as most people experience it on some level or another? Yeah, I think I would be on the camp that um, most people have some type of uh, excessive stress. And so, like, if we're defining trauma as in, like, PTSD uh, and and the experience of a life-threatening or, uh, like, if you experience death or rape or 
That's like uh, big T trauma. That's, that's big T trauma, and it's typically associated with one like event that triggers this cascade of depression, anxiety, hypervigilance, uh, re-experiencing that with nightmares or dissociation, et cetera. So, like, I think that might not be as common as what most people think. That what people, I guess, what people assume when you ask them, "Have you experienced trauma?" I think and the big stuff, they think yeah. of that. I think when you're looking at neglect as trauma or an alcoholic parent as trauma or a friend that was uh, sexually assaulted uh, and you've experienced some of those symptoms via uh, some kind of empathy response, um, maybe you move to a different state and started a new job and Mm. you got fired and things that didn't go like all these uh, environmental stressors that that exceed our ability to cope with it and it's just too much and we start having symptoms of anxiety and depression uh, excessive loneliness um, suicidal thoughts yeah anger irritability uh, i think if it exceeds your your ability to just naturally cope with it and uh and i think that that would be some type of traumatic experience. So talk to me about that. Like when you mm. said exceed your ability to cope with it, like what do you mean exactly by that? Mm. <clears throat> some people um, are more resilient than other people. And so we could experience, let's like, say you and I experienced the same thing. And six weeks later, I'm having some really exacerbated anxiety, panic attacks. I, I, I don't want to leave the house. Um, uh, and I'm uh, fearful of uh, something like that happening again. I'm, I'm, I'm not present. I'm not able to focus on work. Um, my relationships are uh, struggling, um, irritable. Uh, so you see me not doing well in multiple settings, and you are doing fine. It didn't didn't disturb you at all. We, 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 we experienced the same thing, but for some reason you have been able to cope with it naturally just because of your natural. Uh, I'm not even sure why that is. I don't know if anyone yeah. knows that. Um, and, and not to say that I wouldn't be resilient, right? Because there's a lot of ways that I am resilient. Mm-hmm. But um, for some reason, that experience at that time of my life was too much for my brain to handle. And so it has led me down a road of like uh, fight or flight. So what exactly, fight or flight for sure, like dive into that a little bit, like what happens when someone experiences like in the, in the brain, behind the scenes, right? What we don't see, like, what's going on when a traumatic event happens in someone's life? Uh, a pretty complex question that I might not be the best person to ask um, as, as far as neurologically, but I'll do my best. And so You're the best one we have on the podcast. <laughs> well, there you go. Um, you, your brain does have um, a fight-or-flight um, response that is kind of triggered. It's, it's your amygdala, I believe, that it looks for environmental threats. So like if we were um, like walking down a trail and a bear jumps out, we don't have to think about like, what is that? We're just running or we're grabbing a weapon. Uh, it, like, mm-hmm. it, it, like it saves time to just respond to that, that physical threat to our life. Uh, your brain has evolved that way to to keep you safe, and so it it, it bypasses um, all of the neocortex stuff and the uh, logic, reasoning, uh, what our consciousness. So it's it really is just kind of an impulse or or response. 
And uh, in uh, in situations of trauma, your brain is doing that same thing. So it's not um, it's not a safe brain. You're not thinking about calculus. You're not you're not safe and secure. You're not able to learn. You're just in this heightened awareness of I'm I'm, I'm in danger and I need to get out of danger. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can kind of compare it to this old reptilian brain. So like the pathways in the brain are actually very different. Uh, with someone that has experienced with PTSD or uh, trauma of some sort versus someone that has not, or that have not gone through that recently. Mm. And it creates, correct me if I'm wrong, like, cause I've heard you talk about this before. Like, like these maps in your brain, am I using Almost the right like language circuit, for that? Mm, Like a map or a circuitry. Uh, and the more those are uh, conditioned, the, the more likely they are to be like your, your baseline. So give me an example of that. So like these, these mental maps, right? Like if you mm-hmm. have a traumatic experience, tell me if I'm thinking through this correctly. Mm-hmm. If I have a traumatic experience and um, we'll just say I was, I was bullied when I was in sixth grade because of uh, I, I wasn't wearing name brand clothing and somebody made fun of me for it or whatever, and it was a big deal to me. And that moment I experience hurt, and that moment I experience shame, I'm embarrassed, I'm lonely. Let's say whether you want to call that little T or big T trauma, I'm not sure. But that creates some sort of a map in my head to where now, if I think of this correctly, this mental map that says, okay, um, if I don't look a certain way, then I'm going to be rejected. And therefore, that can begin kind of set the course for how I live, is that kind of the way I'm, am I thinking through that correctly? To uh, right now, I'm, yes, absolutely. I think that you've you've learned a theme in your life that you think is true. That's like a core belief, and you operate out of those set of core beliefs in daily life, and they're completely unconscious. Like you sat in your chair, you didn't have to analyze that chair to know that that's what a chair was to sit in a chair. Yes. Okay. So, what do you do then? Like, if if you because we've we've all. Exp- a lot of us have experienced trauma, mm-hmm, okay, living sure. in a fallen, broken world, like in some way, shape, or form. So if this trauma begins to change, kind of begins to to really just, yeah, these these core beliefs begin to change our life in kind of negative ways that they can, right? That's why they're that's why you guys and pretty much every counseling agency is filled with people, right? It's like mm-hmm. so we begin to kind of relate in kind of these destructive ways. Like what do we do? Like, is there a way to get a new map, like a new core belief, like how so does the, that work? The good thing is, is that your ability, to, your brain does have the ability to change and you can relearn truth, right? So what you is that neuroplast- neuroplasticity. Okay, yeah. That's right. Um, uh, you have to be in a place where you're safe, for one. Like you really have to be in a, a safe place where your brain isn't um, mm-hmm. doing that fight or fight flight. Fight or freeze, uh, uh, pathway. And then, and then on top of that, you have to be willing to accept that your, your first interpretation of an event might be wrong because of something you experienced in your past. Pretty hard okay. concept. And a lot of people yeah, is can't that paying attention to your body. Is that paying a big attention part of it? Like, oh, I'm really anxious right now or whatever else. Like, okay, hang on a second. Yeah. And, uh, you know, like when people do decide to come into a mental health clinic to get treatment, I think they're accepting that. And that's why people reach out to a therapist. They know that what they're feeling isn't logical. Right. Because there's some reason to be sad. Like if you lose your family member. 100%. 
we don't necessarily just go straight to a therapist. We grieve. Yes. Right. And then there's, there's an acceptable amount of time for that. And it's completely normal. But if that sadness goes on for two years and you just don't feel like living life, then that's when you know that there's uh, something that you're not processing well. Yeah. Uh, so whether it be a journal or a workbook, self-help, some YouTube videos, a therapist, a safe friend, all things that we can do to uh, kind of go to to explore, like, is my uh, am I thinking logically in these situations? That safe environment's huge, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So I've never heard you really say that before, but it makes sense of like, yeah, if trauma, that happens in what seems like a very unstable, like safe environment, typically it's like, Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully yeah you're gonna need mm-hmm. a safe place in order to be able to process that and i think that a lot of people are i don't know seem to be or at least they feel like they're missing that you know they feel like there's really no safe place to talk through whatever the stuff's going on inside of me whether it's because i'm gonna be judged or i'm gonna be rejected or it's just scary right to let mm-hmm. somebody inside so you know i'm curious w- would you say that um obviously we know addiction is a problem right now do you think that the you know the problem we have with drugs and alcohol in our society which i mean when i saw we talked to brad snyder we had him on not long ago and he said like that's the two big things like mental health and drug addiction and like from from a you know police standpoint um do you think those things are working hand to hand right now oh absolutely i don't think anyone would disagree that you're um if you struggle with mental illness then you're more likely to use drugs and alcohol to cope Okay. Uh, and then which creates an, a negative pathway, a negative cycle that uh, it's not adaptive. It causes more problems that you go then go on to drink more and more and more and more. Yeah. I heard Seth Haynes, uh, he's a, a lawyer, he's actually an author in, in North Arkansas. And he said that whenever you see someone struggling with addiction, the question is not why the addiction, but why the pain. And so there's like, usually if someone's in addiction, like there's a pain, there's trauma, there's something back there that they're trying to, to cope and deal with. And so uh, what can someone do, um, Luke, like from your perspective, like if they're listening to this and let's say like they've got pain in their life, whether it's, yeah, I don't know what it may be, or let's say they're struggling with anxiety, they're struggling with depression, um, feelings of hopelessness, whatever it may be, what's a good next step? Like what do you encourage someone to do? I mean, therapy is a big thing, I would say. Obviously, like my number one go-to would be find someone safe, whether it be a therapist or a pastor. And what would that look like? Okay, mm-hmm. so like let's say with therapy with you. Because mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are scared of being with a therapist. Like mm-hmm. I mean, think about people There's I a know, stigma. There's right. a stigma. Mm-hmm. So what would that mean? Like just with even hope and healing. I know you can't speak for every therapist, but someone decided, that, you know what, I need help. I'm going to call this Luke guy. I'm going to call hope and healing. Walk us through that process. What does that look like? <clears throat> so initially you would go in and – um, call our office or call one of our therapists and, and just start that conversation, come in for an intake. Um, and we would just talk to you and listen, kind of, kind of where you're saying, like we'd, we'd ask what hurts or, or where are the symptoms? What do you, how can we help you deal with, um, whatever you're going through right now? And depending on that answer, whether it would be depression or schizophrenia or anxiety or panic disorders, it kind of maps out where we're going to take therapy. But first, we're going to establish some kind of rapport to, to let you know that we care about you and we're safe to explore this. We're non-judgmental. It's completely confidential. That there's that We're not going to judge you for whatever you've done or whatever you've seen or whatever's happened to you. And that no matter how long that process is take, we will kind of 
enter in that with you. Mm. Um, over time, once once your relationship is established, you know, we'll begin to um, ask about uh, events that contribute to it. Um, was there a person that contributed to it? Was there something that happened to you in childhood last week? Is it a boss? Do you have addictions? Like, what are you doing naturally to cope, whether it be good or bad? Um, and, and then again, we kind of come back to, to explore what are those underlying beliefs? What, what is contributing to this, um, that is plastic that we can change. So if you believe that you're, you have to have name brand clothes. So go back to your example, um, to be cool or to be accepted. And you can't always consistently like afford brand new clothes every week. And we have to challenge that negative core belief, replace it with something, um, more realistic, um, compassionately process that and encourage some different thoughts and different behaviors. You give them those different thoughts, different behaviors. Like how did, what's the process then for actually beginning to believe that new, new thought? Uh, journaling, um, constantly, uh, being in a place where you can, uh, challenge that, that emotional response, that initial response, sit in it for a second and then ask is like, is there another way to see this? What do you think about this? Uh-huh. What am I hearing that do I know to be true? 100%. Yes. Is there, is there another, uh, reason that this could be happening or if, um, your boss was short with you that morning. Does it mean that you've done something bad or could it be something's going on in his life? Sure. Uh, so we begin to challenge our initial response um, and, and try to see if there would be another explanation for it. Most of the time there is. And that seems to be, I just thought about this, like it, it maybe you correct me if I'm wrong, but that's where like when you're alone, like that's when things get really bad because I don't know about, you but like for mm. me i tend to be my own worst enemy like i talk to myself in ways that i would never talk to you and i think that when you have a healthy community you're surrounded with you have people that can reinforce the truth right like so you're believing mm. these lies and you have the people that but like man if you're alone it's like you're just speaking to yourself these negative thoughts and most of the time and correct me if i'm wrong here like one of the things that makes a traumatic event a traumatic event is usually some sort of separation relationally i would think some sort of detachment or some sort of rejection or some sort of abandonment and it's like if you're alone and you're already having these negative thoughts of like you know i'm going to be alone or whatever like it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that just reinforces these negative ideas am i overthinking that no yeah you're right okay well thank you Uh, i would agree with what you just said yeah okay um I know that if someone comes in and they want to try to get help, are there different options of treatment or is it, is it mainly sitting in a room and someone you asking questions and and them talking and you listening? Is that the, is that pretty much the main part of what treatment is or are there other options for people? I think there are a lot of different options. I think some are non-negotiable. Like you would have to go to a therapist that makes you feel safe. That, that you know that is coming from you from a non-judgmental, it's confidential, it's safe, it's not, um, uh, I wouldn't say it's not scary, take that out. I would say that uh, fundamentally you have to trust your therapist to know what they're doing and, and to actually care about you um, in some way that they need to have some empathy towards what you're going through. And then... Uh, there's a lot of different theories that go into uh, psychotherapy, whether it would be like 
cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, dialectical therapy, behavioral, uh, like, uh, dialectical uh, behavioral therapy. Um, there's EMDR. There's um, uh, cognitive processing therapy. There's a lot of different modalities that uh, kind of drive that map what you're talking about. So mm-hmm. the questions that we will ask you kind of come back to the theory that we learned or the theory that we practice. Um, it's a brain core therapy. That's uh, that part of it, or do you uh, not really use it for trauma so much? Uh, we do use that for trauma. Uh, so brain core neural neural feedback therapy is um, EEG biofeedback, and what we'll do is we will uh, hook two sensors to your brain and or to your scalp uh, and uh, <laughs> record what's going on in there, and then we uh, reward brainwave behavior or brainwave patterns that are more associated with like feeling good and calm and safety and focus relaxation have i told you about my experience with luke cooking me up to those sensors robert uh no i, I want to hear well uh, that's good because i was gonna tell you anyway <laughs> oh okay uh, <laughs> i'm speaking on behalf of all the listeners yeah, i appreciate it he, he, so i went into luke's office and he hooks me up to these things he's like hey we're gonna map your brain and you can figure out like where i guess where anxiety is or depression or if there's some sort of trauma or we whatever. don't use it to diagnose but we do see patterns associated okay. with specific disorders so he helps us see patterns mm-hmm. So they do that, and then he's like, "Hey, we're going to reward the uh, how'd you say it again? The good. relaxed, uh, good, feeling good, focused." Yes. Um, so this is this is crazy, man. Like you would love this. They hook you up to these little sensors, and then he's like, "Okay, you can either play a game, or you can watch Netflix." And he's like, "You're going to basically do it with your brain without like touching anything." And so if you're watching Netflix, which I did that once, uh, watch like uh, Anthony Bourdain or something like that. There's some Netflix show. If you're relaxed the screen will get brighter and louder. You're not touching, no one's touching anything. There's no controller, anything like that. But if you're anxious, like, it starts getting darker, darker, and am I thinking of that right? And quieter. Oh, yeah, very similar. And it was very hard. <laughs> I could, I think it was like, my screen was almost always dark. So I was like, you know what? Forget that. Like, <laughs> I want to play a game. So he gets me this car, and he's like, okay, if you're relaxed and you're calm, you keep, you'll keep, the, the straighter your car will go and the faster it'll go. I'm like, all right, got it. I can do this. I'm competitive enough. Um, dude, I flipped the car. <laughs> it's like, I, and I asked him, I was like, be honest with me. Have you ever had any other patient or client that's flipped their car? Oh, and he's like, I never have. Oh, wow. Still to this day. Have not <laughs> no, <had> any, <laughs> uh, I would think the, the, the darker the screen gets or the more out of control the car gets, the more anxious you're getting. Yeah. So now I like, that's why I flipped it. Cause I was so anxious. Yeah. Cause it keeps getting worse. And they're like, Oh my gosh. Yeah, dude. And then I'm like, I can't be calm at all at that point. Yeah. Well then you learn how to practice it. So I'm you see it bow feedback and, and, uh, is basically seeing a physical response to a feeling in real time. And it mm-hmm. gives you feedback instantaneously to where you can learn like, okay, I'm not really driving a car. I can manage some of these irrational fears in Isn't this cool? moment. That is cool. We need mm. to do it again. Let's do it. I've not I've not been in there in a while. We need to map the brain. See we can see how your brain's see, changed. See what's happening. Yeah. We should have done that for the podcast. We should have done it live. Yeah. Maybe our live, next one. Yeah. 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 I'm sure you'll be willing to come back it. soon. Uh-huh. Um, so for if someone is um yeah. Let's just say someone's struggling right now. Again, whatever it may be. Maybe they're not ready for therapy yet. Um Anything, man, you would encourage them to do is just a next step. They're just not quite there yet. It's like, I'm going to go to therapy. Is there anything else that you would encourage them to do 
to help with some of the issues that they're having. And I know that's a broad because there's oh you there's don't know so what the root many. issue is, yeah. right? You don't know what the root issue mm-hmm. is. Let's just say that's it's a loaded question. Let's say anxiety. Let's say depression. Mm-hmm. Okay, like that's I'm guessing one of the two biggest issues. That's just a total assumption that you're are, are dealing with. Uh, <clears throat> yeah, I think anxiety uh, statistically happens with about twenty percent of people in America every year. So a lot of people suffer with anxiety. That'd be number one. Depression number two, and I think it's somewhere around fifteen. So okay, so let's just say it's anxiety. Someone's mm-hmm. dealing with anxiety right now. Anything that you recommend, man, to see whether it's healthy coping mechanisms or a way of life or. Um, obviously therapy, we would, I would agree hundred percent with you. And I'm not even mm-hmm. getting paid to say that. Like that's huge, but they're not quite ready for that. What would you recommend? There are, you know, like first off, it, it really depends on the, on the severity of, uh, what you're feeling. If you're out there and you're, uh, just feeling a little anxious and you know that you're, uh, slightly above your baseline, you see your anxiety getting a little worse um, than it was the same time last year and, and then the same time the year before. So you're, stati- you're just slowly getting more anxious and more anxious. Um, you know, like I would I would research ways to cope, and there's a million. So whether it would be prayer or reaching out to a friend, um, uh, finding a support group or getting involved in a church or um, – uh, meditation, yoga, exercise. Uh, there's a book called Breathe by James Esther. There's, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of ways that we can learn how to uh, calm down and cope with the stress of our world. Mm-hmm. Um, fish oil? F- fish oil. Um, Fishing. Uh, fishing would be a better one uh, to compare <laughs> to greens. Yeah. So uh, whether it be like you're talking about supplement, try supplements, um, consult with your doctor, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, it, what I like about you, Luke, and the work that you're doing is, and I think it's so important, is like you don't separate, like your your, you understand that your emotional health and your physical health, your spiritual health, your relational health, they're all connected. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, one of the, the issues, it seems like, and this is just from my world, from the, and I'm not a professional like therapist, but I do some counseling with people, and it just seems like we, we really want to compartmentalize our lives. And it's like, okay, I'm struggling with depression and anxiety or whatever it may be, but I want to continue to like eat however I want, and I don't want to exercise either. And it seems like and I, you actually can't separate those. Am I, am I right on that? Uh, you're right. It's, um, I think, I don't think anyone would disagree with you. Like diet and exercise is always going to be a good answer. It's just some people with depression, um, really struggle with making that, that initiative or that first step. And And is that where meds can be helpful to help get uh, regulated? I don't know if that's the right way of saying uh, it. Yeah. Obviously you, you want to consult with a physician or a psychiatrist, um, uh, but yeah, medicine. If you're going through depression and you and you you're having a hard time coping with it, uh, just alone, then coming into a mental health treatment facility or going to your primary care doctor and, and initiating that conversation and, and asking for medicine. There's nothing, absolutely nothing wrong with that, yeah. and it will help. Hopefully, yeah, good. Well, I, that's like I said, what I love about your approach, and you know, I think it's so easy in our culture to try to, and we all want it like the quick fix. You know, mm-hmm. it's like go in somewhere, like just give me the red pill or the blue pill or whatever, and like make it better. And I think that there has to be a commitment to kind of holistic health. And I love how you are, at least what I know about you, Luke, and what I love is you're willing to meet people where they are. Um, yeah. And I'm sure that's true. The people that are there with you, 
and just say, hey, you know what? You might not be where this person is, but it doesn't matter. Like, we're going to treat you as an individual. Your story is unique. Meet you there, and we'll kind of help you go as you can. Thanks, Jared. Absolutely. Yeah. So here's what I'll have to do, because I know that you've got places to go, people to see. I've got other questions I'd love to ask you, but I want to end not with questions about uh, therapy, trauma, all that, but with some rapid-fire questions. And so we ask these at the end of every single episode, and... um, would love to get your feedback. So you ready? Eight, uh, eight yeah. questions. We're going to fire them off. All right. So okay, I know yeah. you're super excited about these uh, answers yeah. now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you I wasn't before, before. You are now. Yeah. What is either the last show that you binged or book that you read? Or it could be a movie that you watched if you're not a show guy. I just watched 007, the new one. Um, no Time to Die. Still watching it. I paid for it. I'm, I'm really bad about not sitting still during a movie <laughs> and so it's taken us two days to watch 007 <laughs> and i think now that rental has expired so i don't know what happens <laughs> that's awesome uh favorite band or favorite song right now it's sam cook i don't know sam cook oh that is a sin singer songwriter or what singer songwriter yeah okay. yeah i'll uh, check him out sam bluesy cook. jazzy guy i think maybe in the 60s maybe okay Oh, so, nice. yeah, you really, you really can't go wrong. You'll love them. All right. I'm going to write it down in here so I don't forget. Sam Cook coming for you. What's your favorite meal? Pizza. Is it really? One, I figured that'd be one, some sort of barbecue thing. Cause this I guy love the barbecue. Man, smoke, I love man. meat. I love the barbecue, barbecue pizza. Oh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Nope. Wrong answer. I'm with you. Those two things should not be I'm married. You. Where's your favorite pizza place? Uh, that's Brick Oven. Okay, there you go. What are you going to get if you go there? Uh, half pepperoni and then half uh, Hawaiian. I know that's uh, a touchy subject, but no, supreme sometimes. Yeah, that's not a judge, man. That's, that, Do your thing, man. Okay, yeah. what's on your not stand right now? There is a book about um, parenting that I'm reading, and then a lamp, and uh, maybe some pocket change. And a charger, my cell phone charger stand. Yeah, not much. It's pretty okay. basic. Yeah, yeah, book. All right, excellent. Two more questions. Give us a snapshot of just an ordinary moment in your life that brings you great joy. So it's just an ordinary moment that brings you great joy. Uh, man, when I get home and I got my two boys, they're two and four, and my wife, Alicia, we will walk um, uh, through our property. We own like 15 acres in Brooklyn and, uh, the neighbors have a, a horse, uh, that my boys are in love with and they will pick grass and hand feed that neighbor's horse. Um, and it's, uh, just a little slice of heaven on earth back there. That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. When's but the that, last, yeah. What is it? Oh, I was just going to ask Robert when the last time that he has fed a horse some grass. Uh, He's a big city slicker. Come over sometime. Oh, hey. It could be this afternoon. My son wants, my son Ace wants a horse. (laughs) And he, we drive to school and there's this house uh, that he sees that they got a horse in their backyard. I'm like, yeah, well, their backyard's five or 10 acres. You know, ours is (laughs) about a thousand square feet. Yeah. It's small. Small horse, maybe. Poor horse. Shetland pony. There was a, my neighbor has a Shetland and uh, it got out last week and it uh, ended up. Um, in our backyard flirting with the neighbor's male horse. Um, and Rowan, my two-year-old, saw it back there, <laughs> and he thought that I got him a pony. 
Oh, so no. yeah, that was a really sad moment when yeah. we had to give the horse back. Was, Speaking of traumatic moments, <laughs> yeah, right. Hey, maybe sad. we can drive enough clients to your place that you can get a pony. Yeah, that's what that's that's the goal. Would I get a pony? <laughs> Not good question. Sorry. I mean, ask my kids, yes, we'll get up on it. <laughs> All right, last question. What is one thing that you are deeply grateful for right now? Um right now, like I said, man, like my faith in God is will always like kind of drive my uh my reality. Um and I'm 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 thankful for Jesus and I'm thankful for my family and I'm thankful for you. Thanks, brother. Yeah. Thankful for you. No, the genuinely. Yeah. Well, thank you, brother. Mm. I appreciate that. And thank you for coming on because I know that mm. this is not your bag. It's not your, <laughs> you know, it's, not yeah. Yeah, it's not something you love doing, but I really appreciate that you would take the time to be um, here. So. I'm so thankful, honored that you would ask me to come on. So thank yeah. you for that. Again. Mm-hmm. And that was Luke Lou Allen. Uh, Luke, thanks so much for coming on. Um, really. <laughs> I know there's so many good therapists in our city, um, but Luke is is one of my favorite just because of the relationship we've been able to build. I truly do trust um, that the work that he's doing and the people um, who are part of his clinics, um, and it's, it's very meaningful work. And I've personally known people who have been impacted by um, just their therapy and the work they're mm-hmm. doing. And, and I've personally been impacted by Luke. Mm-hmm. And so I've been trying to get him on, man, for about a year just to come and talk about trauma and emotional health. And he's like, man, I don't want to do that. And so he told me when he left, he's like, I hope you know, like I did this for you. <laughs> and he's like, but I hope it helps people. Yeah. I was going to say it may be for you, but it, I think it's for a lot of people. And I was going to ask him, maybe next time we have him on, I want to ask him about it, but just what is it? I think I know I have my own answer, but what is it that keeps men especially away from a therapist? Yeah. Um, what do you think he, it is? Oh, I'm, I'm admitting when I walk through those doors, I'm admitting I need help. I'm admitting I'm weak. Yeah. Been trained out of me from the time I was little. Yeah, right. Don't as cry. As you get hit by a ball, right? Yeah. Like, don't rub it. Don't rub it. Just go to first. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Fall off your bike. Don't cry. You're right. Yeah, that's right. Try it up. So yeah. Well, hey, if you're still listening, thanks so much for tuning in. Um, if you've not already done so, please go and give us a five star rating on iTunes. That will just uh, not only make us feel better about what we're putting out, but really it just helps uh, people find the podcast more. Yeah, it quickly. helps everybody else. Yeah, yeah. learn about the incredible people living here. And so um, you can also check us out, follow us if you've not already uh, done so. Get on Instagram, you can follow us there or on Facebook. And then we have a, um, a website, paragolpodcast.com, that you can check out if that interests you at all. So um, as always, thanks for listening. Until next time.